Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week in our Arizona Capitol Bureau are... Dan Nowicki, national political reporter. Ron Hansen, I cover the congressional delegation. Yvonne Winget Sanchez, I cover the governor's office and state politics. This week on The Gaggle, President Trump ends a program that has shielded from deportation the young immigrants known as Dreamers. What does that mean here? And Arizonans in Congress have a lot to do this month, and we mean a lot. But we start with efforts to overturn an expansion of the state school voucher program. Yvonne, this is all you. So they say it has enough signatures to make the ballot now. Save Our Schools Arizona, this grassroots group that sprung up uh, earlier this year in opposition to this idea of expanding the state's school voucher program to everyone, uh, has collected enough signatures to refer this matter to the November 2018 ballot. Not all of the counties have finished their verification process, but Maricopa County has. It's the biggest county, and with its uh, conclusion that... um, The group had enough verifiable signatures. Uh, This thing made the uh, met the the threshold to be referred to the ballot. So not all the paperwork is done yet. The Secretary of State's office still has uh, some kind of perfunctory things that they need to do. They need to alert the governor that this is going to happen. And uh, for all intents and purposes, this thing will be on the ballot. So this is a referendum. Can you describe what what it means that it's a referendum or the significance of that? Well, essentially what they're trying to do is undo the law that was passed last session. So if a no on Proposition 305 is passed and approved by voters, it will undo the law. If uh, a yes on 305 is passed, the law will remain in, in place and it will be voter protected. So how unusual is it then that some sort of citizen-driven effort like this succeeds in, in getting on the ballot? Extraordinary. No one that I have talked to can recall the last time a mostly volunteer effort was able to refer an item to the ballot. There have been citizen initiatives. I think the most recent one was uh, House Bill 2305. uh, That was a campaign finance related uh, matter. And it was uh, repealed by the legislature before it could go to the ballot. But that one was much more organized. Uh, They had people paying for some of the uh, circulators who were out gathering signatures. This was overwhelmingly volunteer. This was uh, a group of concerned parents and public school advocates who didn't like what they were seeing down at the state legislature, decided to do something about it. People said they couldn't do it. They proved them wrong. So we've been talking about some lawsuits that we're expecting to be filed challenging the referendum effort. Um, What are they going to sue over? Well, one has already been filed and then dismissed uh, voluntarily. The other one uh, is going to focus on how some of these signatures were gathered. There are claims that voters were misled when they were asked to sign the petition, that uh, the people who were carrying the petitions didn't properly fill out boxes or uh, describe to voters what they were signing. So these are all the type the, the types of um, issues that you would expect a challenger to bring up in court. The question on this one is, will it work? 
So there's also been an ethics complaint and some robocalls associated with this. It's almost like we're in full uh, campaign mode here. What, what, what's that about? We are in full campaign mode. The American Federation for Children uh, has put out robocalls in a north central Phoenix, uh, Paradise Valley district. This is a, a swing district, and uh, they are going after uh, the 2016 Teacher of the Year, Christine Marsh. She gathered signatures for uh, this referendum effort, and uh, they're, in her view, trying to smear her with baseless attacks. Um, and on the other side, on the legislative side, supporters of the expansion uh measure are going after a democratic lawmaker who they they believe also may have improperly gathered signatures we have not heard from her so we don't know what her response is to the allegations but ex expect this all to play out very publicly i think one of the strategies of the supporters of expansion is going to be you know if we can't win in court maybe we can win in the court of public opinion and let's try to go after people with allegations that maybe not meet might not meet legal thresholds, but can certainly raise questions in people's minds about whether or not this thing was done properly. So the big news this week is that Trump will end Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, and that protected about 28,000 Arizonans who were brought to the country illegally by their parents from being deported, allowed to get work permits, driver's licenses. Uh, so, Dan, what has been the reaction to this so far? Well, by doing this, uh, President Trump is basically throwing the issue back to Congress, which has been struggling to pass DREAM Act legislation since 2001, which is when the idea was first introduced. Uh, it has passed the House and it's passed the Senate, but it never passed it in the same Congress as required by the Constitution, so it never became law. But both chambers have, have dealt with the issue over the years. Uh, now Congress, again, has six months to try to pass DREAM Act legislation. There are several bills uh, floating around already. There's some others that will probably emerge. Uh, Senator Jeff Flake is involved with three of them. There's the uh, traditional DREAM Act that uh, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois is uh, introducing again. There is what's called the Bridge Act, which would essentially uh, codify or extend the DACA program in law. And then there's Flake's uh, SAFE Act, which would basically uh, extend DACA program, but also add some border security uh, language that would you know, quicken the deportation of uh, immigrants who have committed and con been convicted of serious crimes. So Trump hasn't really indicated if he prefers any of these, if he'd sign any of them. Uh, that could help get something done. But even though Trump gave Congress six months, which sounds like a lot of time, uh, by the Senate standard, that's not much time at all. So uh, the administration, it was Attorney General Jeff Sessions who made the announcement. They made a legal argument. They said that Obama had overstepped his bounds in, in declaring or issuing this executive action, protecting these uh, young immigrants. Do you think that that resonates politically, in Arizona at least? Uh, you know, the technical aspect of it, uh, probably not. Um, I think the reaction's pretty visceral. There was a program in place. It hadn't been struck down yet. There are some legal challenges to it. So you, you don't necessarily have to get rid of it at this particular moment. You could let it 
play out in court if that's what you wanted to do. But certainly uh, Congress taking up the DREAM Act, if they can pass it, that might not be a bad solution. Uh, even President Obama, when he announced DACA in 2012, you know, he described it as not a permanent fix. It was just kind of a temporary stopgap. And that even when he was announcing it, he urged Congress to pass the DREAM Act because that's really what's needed you know, to find a permanent solution for this issue. So, Ron, what was the reaction from members of the delegation? Did they sound like they were ready to go to work and, and pass a DREAM Act? There was an eagerness to take up immigration. After that, it sort of falls apart. Um, Democrats were interested in something that would uh, address the DREAMers issue relatively squarely. Um, there was some conditions and pushback and uh, such as you would expect, but they wanted to address the dreamers, which is sort of the moment, the, the issue of the moment on this. The Republican response, to the extent there even was a response, was more measured. And uh, a couple of the members, Trent Franks and Andy Biggs, for example, didn't respond until 24 hours later. The um, the response from Gosar, Biggs, and Franks was essentially along the lines of, we welcome um, an effort to take up immigration-related matters, but they couched it in terms of securing the border to make sure that there's uh, some issue of birthright citizenship is addressed, to enforce the laws that are on the books, and there really was not a lot in there saying we think that these folks who are already here, who have essentially grown up here, need to have some sort of uh, permanent protection. So, you know, reading between the lines, it just doesn't seem like there's great enthusiasm on the on the right for this, which is, you know, going to be one of the fault lines to watch moving forward. I mean, is Dan, is this something that gets done with um, sort of a bipartisan agreement and, and kind of shoves aside the far right? Well, I think there's potential for that happening, uh, certainly in the Senate. Uh, one of the ideas that has come up is maybe if they take the DREAM Act and sort of like Jeff Flake's SAFE Act, but maybe more so, you know, add some border security measures into it, kind of make a package that could be approved as a compromise that way. Uh, you know, what, what exactly that's going to look like probably will be the result of negotiations. There's been some discussion that maybe uh, the, the DREAM Act would be used in order to secure some funding for Trump's border wall. Uh, and while people like Dick Durbin, the, the Democrat from Illinois, and Lindsey Graham, the Republican from South Carolina, have said they're willing to possibly look at border security, they both said, you know, they're not going to go for the wall as part of this deal. And many Democrats have also signaled that we're not going to, you know, let the, the, the DREAM Act... Uh, be held hostage for the border wall. So, Dan, most polling will show that the protections provided by DACA are favored by most Americans and that they thought that the young people who were brought here by their parents didn't break the law themselves, uh, grew up here, went to school, got jobs. To then show them the door is not a just outcome. Why then, 15 years after they first started talking about the DREAM Act, has it not passed? Well, the DREAM Act always has been the most popular component of immigration reform, and it may be a victim of its own popularity over the years. Um, people do view the Dreamers as a sympathetic group. They do see them as, you know, kind of being in this predicament through no fault of their own. 
But over the years, some people have wanted to use the DREAM Act in conjunction with other elements of immigration reform that are maybe not so popular, including the pathway to citizenship uh, for their dreamer parents and other undocumented Im immigrants. That's what immigration reform opponents call amnesty. So for years, they've been uh, the strategy has been kind of put together this package that includes various components in one bill, the border security, the guest worker program, the pathway to citizenship, and other benefits for the undocumented immigrants who've already settled into the country, and as part of that, the DREAM Act as well. So in Trump, by jettisoning DACA, he's really kind of appealing to his own base, the, you know, the 30 percent of the country that supports him and his agenda and doesn't like the DREAM Act, doesn't like any kind of immigration reform probably, and not the 70 percent of the country that does support the DREAM Act. So Congress has a lot on its plate, Ron. You wrote about it this uh, past weekend. What are some of the things that they're looking at? Well, they've got a, a couple different things this time of year, you know, in terms of federal budget expires. Now we're up against the debt ceiling as well. This is the borrowing limit for the, the government. Uh, that expires almost at the same time as the federal budget. Throw into the mix things like DACA, that the president gave us over the weekend, and then Harvey relief uh, for the Houston area. Um, there's just a lot that has to get done in a relatively short period of time. In particular, the debt ceiling, uh, this expires between September 29th and mid-October, depending on different estimates and how the government's receipts continue to pour in. But um, the government will run out of money to pay the the ongoing bills and if we don't have the money to pay them we will enter what would be a default situation that would basically violate the full faith and credit of the u.s and could send financial markets uh, tumbling um, shortly thereafter so that's seen by pretty much everybody as a must pass sort of bill but it's a persistent irritant, especially on the right, for people who say we need to bring spending down. So they're willing to raise the debt ceiling, but only on the condition that there's some sort of uh, glide path, as, as some members describe it, to bring down spending in the long term so that we don't have to continually do this as often. So uh, you mentioned Hurricane Harvey. The House this week passed a nearly $8 billion relief package, 419 to 3 and I mentioned that because one of the three no's was Congressman Andy Biggs. Why did he vote no? Good question. Um, the vote evidently was tied to uh, some foreign spending matter um, that uh, Congressman Biggs was not um, pleased to see tacked on to a, a hurricane relief bill. I should say, when I talked to him last week, he was noting that he had not really you know, had a chance to digest what the relief package would look like, that he was sort of holding his uh, judgment on that because it's the first time as a freshman he's had one of these major relief bills uh, fall into his lap. Um, but he was generally in agreement that the Houston area needed relief. Then we get to today, and of course it's uh, tied to something that he really is not fond of, and no matter how dire the situation in Houston, there are principles to maintain. 
So uh, one thing that came up almost uh, as we're recording this is that President Trump said that he struck a deal with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on uh, to resolve uh, the debt ceiling and then the continuing resolution to keep government funded. Uh, I'm just curious if what you think, Dan and, and Ron, if President Trump starts cutting deals with the Democrats, what does that do to his party? Does he still, is he still going to be able to maintain support from Republicans in Congress? Well, it's kind of an interesting strategy. He's undermining the House and, and Senate GOP leaders who he's been feuding with anyway. So it's kind of, he's kind of uh, declared a little war on his own party, um, you know, attacking Mitch McConnell, attacking Jeff Flake and others. So, you know, maybe he's taking it to the next step and he's going to start working with the Democrats on some of these issues. I mean, Ron, I, th- I think it would make it far less likely that these glide paths, <laughs> as they like to call them, to reduce spending uh, w- would be included in, in that kind of deal. I mean, there are no details as far as what it involves other than it would extend these uh, the government funding through mid-December. Right. So they're sort of kicking the can down the road, which is convenient for the Democrats in a number of ways. Uh, number one, we don't have to deal with uh, a default on our hands uh, later this month, which I think everybody would welcome, especially the Democrats at this point. Um, and it sort of gets us edging closer to the 2018 election cycle where it's going to be tough to find any kind of courageous uh, voting taking place by any members. So it, it really kind of feels like it would be a political victory for the Democrats to continue to just sort of keep business as usual uh, as long as possible, and you, you run it up against the elections. And I would throw in one other thing. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that how the president is looking to work with Democrats on the, the debt ceiling, for example. We see the Republican leadership in the House, uh, at least, indicating some interest in maybe finding common ground on the Dreamers as well with the Democrats. So, you, you know, this is where, again, the, the, the battle between the White House and the Republican leadership really seems to be uh, manifesting itself on several fronts. And um, it's not clear where the majority lies, where the, the real uh, agenda moves forward on these things. But if you're a Democrat, you have to sit back and, and enjoy the, the view. <laughs> For our final segment, what are you watching for this week, Yvonne? I want to see uh, what the court has to say about a lawsuit that was filed against Save Our Schools Arizona over its uh, signature gathering tactics. Ron? I want to see what plays out on the debt ceiling uh, funding if this if they do reach a deal or kick it into December. Dan? Senator John McCain is back at work in the Senate uh, after undergoing treatment for brain cancer, and I'll be keeping tabs on what he's up to. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. I'm Dan Nowicki, National Political Reporter, and I'm at Dan Nowicki, just like my byline. And you can follow Ron Hansen at Ronald J. Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget, Y-V-O-N-N-E-W-I-N-G-E-T-T. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Kayla White and the sassy Johanna Huckabee. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.